to, to Numbers, and I encourage you to, to do that, the 21st chapter. Choir, we thank you so much for, for the time and the effort that you come and you prepare. I thank God for those who lead us in a point of worship. But again, as, as we heard John speak of that quote, that worship is not what we sing with our mouths. It's, it's the song that comes from our life. And that's so very, very true. Now, I do believe the song that we sing can really affect our, 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 our life and it can get our mind where it needs to be. And I pray that that would happen. Today, we're going to be looking at a, just a really, really, um, seems to be an unusual story that we find in the children of Israel. And, um, but, but God places these within his word for a specific purpose. Um, before we, we, we've had an opportunity to sing about Christ being lifted up and God's the mighty one and we're to praise him and honor him forever and forever. And, 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 and folks, that is, that is what God has called us to do, is to worship our Lord, to worship our Savior. But today we're going to see a picture of our Lord and Savior in a way that, uh, uh, that also should, should grab us. Because not only did he sit on a throne, but folks, there was a time in life that the Bible says he humbled himself to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Not only did King Jesus sit on the throne and he reigns over all, but, but folks, he became a man. And he died a sinner's death. That doesn't sound like it makes sense. Why would the king of kings that all worship and all power rest in his hands, allow himself to be put in a situation where people would spat at him and mock him and un unjustly execute him. See, that's the story of Jesus Christ. And it's through that story that we need to understand not only his greatness, but his humility and what he offered for you and me. We're going to see a beautiful picture of that within this passage this morning. Over the last several weeks, we've been studying a, a series called Nothing But the Blood. Because I think it's very, very important for us um, within our own personal lives and in the world today that, that we get back to the basics, folks. It's through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this world will be redeemed. And there's a lot of stuff going on in our world today. There's a lot of issues that's going on in our world. There's a lot of stuff going on in the lives of people that are right here today. But I can tell you what, the one thing that can redeem you is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that he died for you and he loved you in such a much he took your sins upon himself on the cross and he took your sins to the grave. Isn't that good news? And we need to remember that over and over and over. We, we don't need another self-help book. We need the blood of Jesus Christ. We need to remember and focus on the cross of what Jesus did. Even though today... When, when you read this passage, you're not going to see any blood um, spoken of in this passage, but you are going to be seeing the cross. And, and it was at the cross the blood was shed. And I pray that you'd follow this and you'd, make, you'd just really begin to see the picture of Jesus Christ in a way that you've not before. So if you have your Bibles, if, you, if you've turned to Numbers, uh, the 21st chapter, um, why don't you stand with me as we read God's Word together. If you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to, if you find one, take it and make it yours. And encourage you to bring your Bible because we're, we're going to study God's Word here because we believe that God's Word is truth. And as Jesus says, it's the truth 
that will make us free. The children of Israel were wandering in the desert. They had, they had been led out of Egypt. God had given them his law. God had promised, give, promised them the land flowing with milk and honey. God brought them to the place. And um, it says it's too tough to go in there. And so they, they were on a path of wandering. But even on that path of wandering, God was taking care of them every step of the way. As a matter of fact, God had just, just given a big victory within their lives over, a, uh, over an enemy that was trying to attack them. But God gave them victory. But even after they victoried, um, and they were on their journey again, we pick up in verse 4 of Numbers 21, and the Word of God teaches us, and they, speaking about the children of Israel, they journeyed from the Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea, this was on the bottom section of the Red Sea, to compass, to, to circle the land of Edom. Um, Edom was a people, they asked if we could go through the land. Edom says, no, you can't go through your land. We're afraid that what you might do. So they were circling around Edom. It says, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. And they were saying, wherefore, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no bread, neither is there only any water. And our soul loatheth. We hate this light bread. Speaking of the manna that God was giving them. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and, and against thee. Pray unto the Lord, pray unto Jehovah that he would take away the servants, serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Let's pray. Father God, we love you, and God, we thank you. The God that we are to glory in you because of the greatness of who you are. You are our creator. You are our sovereign king. But also that we're to worship you and to praise you for what you accomplished for us on Calvary. The Christ you died for the sin of man. And Father, I just pray today that God, that you would just rest upon our heart and rest upon our soul, that, God, that we might see our need, that we might cry unto you, and, God, that we might look unto Jesus, the Savior of our souls. And, God, bless our time together. You know what's in each of our hearts. God, I pray that, God, there will be a spirit of truth within our hearts and amongst us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd take control that God, that you, you look over everything that we do today, that Christ be lifted up in this place. God, I pray that lives will be changed today. Bless our time in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. When I was in junior high school, in high school, if, if someone came up to me, and many times they would, what's your favorite subject? And I might not would say my, you know, my favorite subject was normally P.E., I, I excelled in PE. I loved it. 
And, um, but probably if I had to tell you my most unfavorite subject was history. Man, I could not why, understand why people needed to study about old dead people. You know, about their problems of the past. And that, just, that didn't interest me a bit. But when I went to, to college, I went to a little liberal arts school up in, in, in Maryville, Tennessee. And, and, and lo and behold, to this school, I had to take history the entire year. Man, I wasn't looking for that. And when I saw my teacher the first day, she was a little woman. She looked about 150. She's probably 40. <laughs> she did have some gray in hair, but, but she ha- her hair, she had it pulled back and had a little bun. And I believe, I believe with all my heart, she had buckle shoes on, you know, and just wore a kind of old grayish outfit day after day. I thought, man, this is going to be a long year. But I give her credit. She made history come alive to me. Man, it's like she took us right where those people lived and, and she began to taught, teach us about history and, and, and it was through history that we can begin to find out who we are and why we do the things that we do. And, and, and you know, why are there prejudices in this world? And again, why are there, there, there different cultures within this world? And I just, I loved it so much that at the end of the year, she came to me and said, I needed to be a, a history major. I said, I don't love it that much. <laughs> Maybe that's where Cannon got hers because now Cannon was a history major. And... Um, but again, she began to change my whole perception of how important it is to look at the past. Because we can find out who we came from and where other people came from and why we do the things that we do. And also we can learn about the successes and past, uh, the past mistakes of our, of our forefathers. And hopefully we won't repeat them again, but sadly man repeats the same mistakes over and over, but at least we can understand the context of the mistakes that we make. And folks, that's why it's so important that we, when, when we, we look at the Word of God, we, 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 we look at the New Testament and Jesus Christ and His birth and, and His life and His death and His, and, and, and His resurrection and the formation of the church, but it's good to look back into the Old Testament. Because it really begins to help you understand who Jesus Christ really was. And it also begins to help you understand that people has always been people. It doesn't matter whether it's been 3,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago, or today. We're all the same. And we repeat the same mistakes over and over. And what God has given us within these four, um, few passages, and there's just a few verses here, he, he, he took a story out of the wandering of the children of Israel, and and he placed it in the Word of God that that we may begin to see our Savior in a way that we have never understood him before. And we begin to see ourselves in the way that we have need of that Savior. Jesus, when he taught, he he loved to use parables where he loved to take a story and teach a story, teach an important truth. And in a sort, this is a parable, but it's not because it really occurred. This is just not a story. This is a this is a real happening in the life of Israel, but it tells us a beautiful story of Jesus Christ. And it teaches us a beautiful story 
of the need of man not only not only 3,000 years ago, but the same need that man has today. And not only that, the solution's the very same. So let's just break this story up, and let's begin to look at this in the life of the people of, of, of Israel and, and how it might reflect on you and me today. See, God was telling the story of, of the children of Israel when they were wandering during that, that, that 40 years within the wilderness. And he began to show the people for who they really are. You know, the Bible says we've all sinned, all We've all fallen short of the glory of God. The, the Bible teaches us there's none righteous, no, not one. And folks, that's not come up with our generation. We think about, wow, what a wicked generation we live in. Folks, they lived in a wicked generation 3,000 years ago. Even people who called themselves God's people. Because we're all sinners. Because the Bible teaches us, when we begin to look at this, God gives us a story right after a great victory. Right after a great victory, when a Canaanite king had, had came in and he had, he had de destroyed some of the Israelite people, taking them into captivity, they prayed and, and God gave them victory. And then God set them on the journey, but as soon as he set them on the journey, listen to what happens. In verse 4 it says, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to encompass or to, to circle the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore, and they were asking, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loatheth this life bread. Man, folks, to really begin to understand where these people were. See, what we begin to see with these people that occurred over and over and over in our lives, there was a sinful rebellion from ungrateful hearts. When I, I use the idea of rebellion, I'll just use it even as Merriam-Webster is. That, that, that means that there's an opposition to the one in authority. And God was the one in authority. Folks, God is God. Whether you choose to follow him or not, he's still God. He's still the ruler king. He's still sovereign over all things regardless of whether you want to bow down. But the Bible says one day every knee's going to bow and every, gonna, every tongue's going to confess that Jesus is Lord. But here were these people, these people that, that God has chosen as his own, that God had blessed them over and over. If you, if, if you go back and you study within the book of Exodus, you find that these people had found themselves in bondage. They were in Egypt. They were not even a nation, if you were call it. They were a, a culturally group of people that had went into Egypt during famine some 400 years ago. They began to grow and multiply. The, the, children of, the children of Jacob, the, the Pharaoh that was king began to be afraid of these people and he put them all in bondage and, and they were all slaves. When you begin to, 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 to look and study history and see the pyramids that, that are built, some of the great wonders of the world, folks, that was on the back of many Hebrew slaves. And some of the great cities that were bought, built in, in Egypt was on the back of Hebrew slaves. They worked seven days a week. And they cried out to God, a God they didn't even know their name, but they cried out to their God, and guess what? God heard their cries. Isn't that good that God hears our cries? 
And these people who are not even really a people yet who are in bondage were crying out to this God and saying, God, help us, deliver us from, from Egypt. We're slaves here. We're, we're beating down people. And God heard them and called his man Moses. And here was Moses that was one of the Hebrew people that had been formerly a, uh, uh, as raised as a son of Pharaoh, but, but, but he had to escape because he, he saw the people being oppressed and he tried to take it into our own hands, which is another story, folks. We can't take God's work into our own hands. And he, he, he was a fugitive because he had to run away. But God used this man that, that stuttered, did not even have good speech. He was a fugitive. But he used this man to go back and face Pharaoh and through a miracle of God, God delivered those people out of bondage. Shouldn't they be happy about that? And shouldn't they be amazed that, that how not only when they left Egypt, but the Egyptians, God moved upon their heart, and the Egyptians give them every gold ring in their, in their house. Man, the people, they, they were paupers, they were beggars, they were slaves, but when they left Egypt, they were rich. And not only that, when, when Pharaoh woke up and, and tried to... Tried to come and destroy the people they were banked up against the red sea and lo and behold the god that they had prayed to opened up the red sea and folks it wasn't even muddy when they walked across they walked across on dry land see when god delivers he never delivers real good no god did allow them to go through some tests and every time they went through a little test they began to complain and murmur against god you know what that is that's an ungrateful heart that when someone has blessed you and honored you and taken care of your needs, then you turn around when, when they haven't met your every single need. It's like a, a child that's been spoiled, and, and some of you know some of them. You've given them, given them, given them, given them, given them, and just because you won't give them one more thing, they pout and they, they get mad and they, and they walk out of the house. But the children of Israel is just like a bunch of spoiled children that every time things begin to get a little bit rough, instead of trusting in the God who delivered them out of Egypt, instead of trusting in the God that had led them through the Red Sea, instead of trusting through the God that had brought water out of the rock, instead of trusting in the God that when they were hungry, that he gave them manna from heaven, they complained. You know what I see within this? People had not changed much today, have they? Man. And you know that when we are complaining, then we're nothing more than rebelling against the God who loves us. We're saying, God, you can't help us with our problems. And that's what we see within this passage. They became impatient. Wow. Nothing more than today. We want our blessings and we want them right now. And even though God was taking them on that journey for their good to teach them, he wasn't doing it fast enough. Isn't that how we pray sometimes? God, I want this and I want it right now. You know, folks, sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers until after we even die. And that impatience, that ingratitude, was just a picture of their heart and they were just spoiled children with a rebellious heart toward God. Wow. I, I think it's so interesting when it says in that last part of verse 5 
where the you know, wives you brought us up to Egypt to die in the wilderness. We're going to look at that in just a moment. But for there is no bread, which was a lie. Because and then he says, neither is there any water, and they they even they even called himself in a lie right here when he says, in our soul loatheth the light bread. You know, it's talking about light bread. It's not talking about, you know, your marita bread out there, folks. That's not what they're talking about. You know, give me a piece of light bread. That's not what they're talking about. What they were doing is using a derogatory term. Because when the children of Israel were, were, were in Egypt, and, and again, you're thinking about up to 2 million people, how are you going to feed that many people in the desert? That God began to bring them bread out of heaven. It was called manna. And God would provide for them every single day except on the Sabbath, but he would give them a double portion the day before the Sabbath so that, so that they, could, they could collect and have enough for the Sabbath. As a matter of fact, um, we find in the Psalms that they, the, the, Psalms describe, the psalmist describes this as, as angel's food or the food for the mighty. And what it's the idea of is, is you talking about our, our century has not come up. Our, our, our generation has not come up with a the, with the, uh, uh, the nutrient bar. You know, we, we think we can go down and buy us a, you know, a, a bar that's going to meet all of our needs and, and eat it. No, the, the first health food was manna. Because when God gave manna, it gave the people every nutrient they need. That you eat of this manna, it's going to be the perfect nutrition bar for your life, and you'll have no other need than that. And here that God had so specifically met their needs but after a while, they got tired of that, and they put it back into God's face and said, we don't even really have bread. And, and we're tired of this light bread. Them not even realizing that was a picture of, uh, of or a type of Jesus Christ, the bread of the world. But the very thing that God had given them, they were now rejecting. But let's listen to what it says next. And it says, and the Lord sent fiery serpents. And that, that word fiery is the same word that, that, that speaks of the seraph or the angels of God that are, you know, that are fiery in nature. Now, whether these were serpents were red, whether they, they were red serpents, or, or that's speaking about the fire that when they bit you, how your, your body would, would burn with fires is probably what they're speaking of. But God sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much of the people of Israel died. Folks, God is a merciful God. That he was merciful to hear their cries. He was merciful to put up with their complaining. But folks, there's a time when a merciful God draws the line. And what we see here is divine judgment from, from a rejected God. These people had rejected God at every, every point along the way. And there's a, there's a time in God's life, even though he's merciful, he will say, enough's enough. And we will all stand in judgment one day of an almighty God for our souls, but even within, within our life, there's times when we will be judged with our, the consequences of our life. And these people had rejected God in every way. And that breaks the heart of God. Can you imagine how it broke the heart of the God who had brought them out? First of all, had listened to their cry, that he had called them his own people, 
that had brought them out of Egypt, that opened up the Red Sea, that, that performed miracle after miracle after miracle, and then provided them bread to eat, manna, angels food to eat, and they say now, we don't have any bread, and we hate this food. You talking about sticking it in God's face, they were sticking it in God's face. And God had had enough. And he allowed fiery serpents, and there's these, I understand that these types of serpents live within the, within the desert, but he just multiplied them, and they just begin to bite people, and as soon as they bit you, that's pretty well a death warrant. You see, they rejected God's provisions. Although God had provided for them time and time again, it wasn't enough. You know what, that's, that's what you find out of a selfish heart. No matter how much you give a selfish heart, they want more. That you can never satisfy a selfish heart because the more you try to meet the needs, the more they want. Because it's all about me. And the more that God supplied these people, the more they wanted. And they, they rejected the very things that he was trying to give them. God has promised us that he's going to provide for us. But he hasn't promised he's going to meet our every whim. But he will provide us with the needs that we have. You know, they, they also rejected, they rejected his, his, his protection that even though, even though God had divinely protected them against Pharaoh and against other armies, they didn't care. The God that although we've seen your mighty hand in our lifetime and time again, we don't want that anymore. Just let us go back to Egypt. I think one of the, the saddest things they rejected about God is they, they rejected his promises. Because when God led Moses into the people of Israel, he says, I'm going to lead you out of bondage and I'm going to bring you to a land flowing with milk and honey. And folks, if God promises something, then you can hold on to that. Now, it might not be according to the timing that we believe, but God is going to be faithful within his promises. I think one of the things that statements, and, and it kind of gives the spirit of the people, even though God had, had actually destroyed the, these early ones that had rebelled against him, but I think it was the same spirit. Back in, in chapter 16, there was a, there was a group of fellows by the, by the name of, of Korah and Dathan and Abram that, that decided to rebel against Moses. And God brought them to an account. And this is one of their excuses. And boy, you're talking about a slap in the face of God. This was a slap in the face of God. When in chapter 16, just a few pages before, in, in verse 12 it says, And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abram and the sons of Leon. They said, We're not even going to come. We're not going to talk to you. And this is their excuse. In verse 13, is it a small thing that thou hast brought us out of a land flowing with milk and honey? They were calling Egypt the land flowing with milk and honey. Man, can people get messed up in their thinking? They had just, they'd just been, they'd cried out to God just a few years ago to bring us out of this place where we're starving to death and we're under oppression. And now they're saying that was the land flowing with milk and honey. I think it's very interesting because God uses that terminology. They use that against God now. You brought us out of a land flowing with milk and honey. 
except thou make thyself all together, and you're making yourself a prince over us and talking to Moses. But then he says in verse 14, Moreover, thou hast not brought us into the land that floweth with milk and honey, or given us the inheritance of the fields and the vineyards. God, you've not kept your promise to us. See, that was the spirit of the people. That's the, that's the spirit of a rebellious people. That's the spirit of an of a ungrateful people. That's the spirit of a spoiled people. And thinking that they would slap God in the face, what we read in those few pages, first of all, calling Egypt the land of milk and honey, which that was a land of torture and, and burden, and then also telling God we're tired of this, this light bread, this useless bread that you've been giving us, even though it's the bread of the Amani, the bread of the angels. And see, when you reject all of these things, you reject God's provisions and protection and promises. What you're really doing is you're just rejecting God himself. And they're saying, God, you don't have the capability to do what you said that you're going to do. You know, that's why we find in Hebrew that says, without faith it's impossible to please him or please God because he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. You have to believe that God is who he says in, that he'll do what he says he'll do. These people didn't have that type of faith. And God says enough is enough. He says that if that's what you want, then I'm just going to turn back and let nature take its place and serpents just begin to come and bite and kill him just like that. Folks, you walk away from God and, don't, and see if the world doesn't bite you out there. You walk away from the God who cares you and loves for you and protects you and you begin to do it your way and see if something doesn't come up and bite you. You know, that's one thing about God that, that we even find in Romans that what God, one of the worst wraths of God is he just backs up and gives us to ourselves. Because we reject him, he, he steps back and says, okay, if that's what you want, I'll give it over to you. And it's a terrible thing when God gives us over to ourselves. And those fiery servants begin to come in and bite. And just like people always do, let's look at this next verse. Verse 7. Therefore the people came from Moses and said, we have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against thee and pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us and Moses prayed for the people I heard many years ago that a guy asked a question what's the what's the first what's the first thing needed for revival you know we all had many thoughts and questions and I remember him saying after everyone kind of thought through that he says what you need is desperation because until you get desperate, you'll never get on your knees and you'll never begin to call upon God. See, it's desperation that precedes prayer. Boy, our prayers are very weak when we're not desperate. When we get desperate, we begin to run to our God and we begin to fall on our knees. You see that within a nation after 9-11. There weren't enough chairs in the churches to, to, um, to accommodate all the people. Everybody wanted them some God at that time. 
They were desperate. But once the desperation goes away, that the need for God goes away. And what had happened is these people became, they became desperate because death had entered their camp. Maybe little Susie had died because she'd been bitten by a snake and, 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 and mama had died and, and, you know, and grandpa had died because they'd been bitten by the snake and, 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 and it, was just, it was just going everywhere and there was nothing they could do about it. And born this God whom they just said that we're tired of you, we're, we're, we're tired of um, you just leading us through this, through this wilderness, we're tired of eating this old bread that you've given us. Now, oh God, we need you. You know, let's be honest, that's pretty hip- hypocritical, isn't it? You know, in, in, in one side of your mouth saying, God, we don't want you, and then let something happen, and then we begin to beg, and God, help us, help us, help us. But aren't you ga- glad God loves hypocrites? Praise God, because we've all been hypocrite every now and then. And that's right, you know. God loves us still. And that's where we see his mercy begin to rush back in. Man, we thank God that he's... Man, he, he could have just sat back and said, all right, I'm just giving you what you want. Didn't want me? Go at it. See, we saw a desperate cry from a desperate people. I've told guys and so many times that if God's pursuing you, he'll do anything it takes to get you to a point that you'll look to him. And I've shared with him because I've been there myself. He will skin you one layer at a time if he has to. He will get you to the point where, where all you need is him and nothing else matters anymore. And that's what he did here. He was skinning this bunch of rebellious, ungrateful people. And it began to get real into their life. And, and you saw a, a desperate cry from a desperate people. So I, I want to say this, folks. Don't cry about the desperate situations because that might be the very situation God's bringing you back to him. And, don't, and, 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 and moms and dads, don't try to get your son out of trouble. Let God take care of that because that trouble may be the very thing that God is using to make your son look back to him or your daughter or your wife or your husband. Let God do what he needs to do. And if he needs to bring him to a point of desperation, that old prodigal son, he had to get down in the pig pen and look up and say, you know, that I have made a mess of my life. It says, it's, all, it's through the desperation that we come to ourselves. And then we begin to see something. Oh, boy, this is, this is, this is something. They begin to pray, oh, Moses, pray for us. Isn't it good that we don't have to ask Moses to pray, that we can go to our Lord ourselves? I don't have to have another man pray for me. I can go straight through him, through my advocate, Jesus Christ. But they had Moses, pray for us, Moses. You know, Moses was wanting to kill you. We was wanting to kill you yesterday, but Moses, we need you today. And we read on. And the Lord said to Moses, make thee a fiery serpent. And set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that look upon it is bitten when he looks upon it shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, 
when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. See, I think it's very interesting here. The people begged God to take the serpents away. God didn't take the serpents away. God didn't answer his prayer like their prayers like they wanted. Lord, take these serpents away. He didn't do that. He had something better. Folks, there's always going to be some pain. There's going to be some stuff we live in. But see what we find now, an unusual remedy from a merciful God. God says, I'm not going to take the servants away. I'm not going to come up with some great seraphim that, or, or medicine that's going to take the bites away. I've got something better than that. The Bible says, he told Moses, I want you to take a serpent. Isn't it interesting, this idea of serpent, because we find that a serpent, there's always a picture of a serpent we, that we find in the garden that, that he was the one that kind of the conduit of sin. And as a matter of fact, we find, especially over in Revelation, that, that, that Satan himself is called that old serpent, and he's a dragon. And here we have serpents again, that God had, had brought judgment through these serpents. And God says, Moses, I want you to take a, a serpent, just kind of like an Im, make an image of a serpent and make it fiery. And, and I think now he's using the idea of red. And he says, make it, and make it out of bronze. It had to be big because there's a lot of people. And he says, because what I want you to do is you take this serpent that represents these snakes and you attach that serpent to a pole. And it had to be a big pole because there was a lot of people. And you take that serpent right in the midst of the people and you, 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 you raise it up toward the heavens. And he says, Moses, you tell the people, every person that's been bitten, every person that, was, that already had their death sentence written, that if you just look at that brazen serpent, you'll be healed. Now that's kind of stupid sounding, isn't it? Why in the world would God come up with something like that? You know, why in the world didn't God just take all those serpents away? Why didn't all the world, God just didn't breathe and all of them get healed? God could have done that. But see, God was, 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 was making a point to the people in Israel on that day, but he was making a point to you and me today. I want you to take that serpent, a, 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 kind of a graven image, if you please, of that serpent, not of me, but of that serpent, Make it brass and put it up on a pole and everyone that looks up to that serpent, even though you are bitten, you're going to live. Now I guarantee you there were some people that day said, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard and I'm not going to do that. And they died. They died right there. But there was other people that day said, you know what? We asked God to help us and if this got what God said to do, we're going to look up. And the Bible says everyone that looked up to that serpent lived. What does this mean to you and me? It has to have some application because, you know, why, these, why did God put this story within the Scripture? Because, folks, this was pointing us to Calvary. This was pointing us to, to something that, that even though they didn't understand it, then we can look back and begin to understand. Even the Jewish scholars when Jesus lived didn't understand this. 
And so as a matter of fact, Jesus did. You know, Jesus, the great scholar, when Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, you know, Jesus, uh, we know that you have to come from God and, and um, to do the things that you do. And, and Jesus looked at Nicodemus as very religious, as very proper, as very good man. And he looked at Nicodemus and, and said, Nicodemus, except you be born again, you shall not see the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus began to talk to him what it meant to be born again. Not to be born of woman, but to be born of the Spirit. But how does that happen? You see, two verses before that great verse in John 3.16, we hear Jesus Christ tell Nicodemus these words. When he says, in verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even must the Son of Man be lifted up. See, Nicodemus was having the hardest time understanding this born-again stuff, but when Jesus brought him a historical happening that I'm sure was just a part of their history, it began to come clear to, to, to Nicodemus what Jesus Christ had to be talking about. But Jesus says, just like that serpent was lifted up, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us on Calvary. That Jesus Christ was hung up between heavens and the earth for all to see. And any that looks toward him will be saved. You see, the applications are this. If you've been bitten by a serpent, you'll surely die. See, that serpent represents sin, my friend. And the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is deadly. And so therefore, the picture is, is this. Every one of us sitting in this place, everyone that has been born to man apart from Jesus Christ who was born of God, we've all been bitten by the, by the serpent of sin. Every one of us, your children have been bitten by the serpent. And the wages of sin is death. See, every one of us are in the same boat those children of Israel in. They were bitten by a physical serpent that was causing physical death, but we've been bitten, we've been bitten by a spiritual serpent that's going to cause, that's going to cause death. Every one of you are sinners and the Bible says the wages of your sin is death. Folks, every one of us are going to die if Jesus tarries. We've already dead, we're already dead spiritually apart from Christ, and we're going to die physically one day. Every single one of us. And the second point is, is, is to understand this. There's no way you can help yourself. There's no way you can help yourself. See, they, they, these people, they thought they were self-sufficient and they didn't need God anymore. And, you know, we just want to go back and we want to live in what we thought was the land of, of, of milk and honey. But, but when God sent them serpents, he re, they, they realized real quick, we can't do anything about this. We just thought we could handle our stuff, but, but now we need God. And see, if you think that you can handle your sin problem any way other than through Jesus Christ, then you are sadly mistaken and you're going to die in your sins. Because we've all been sitting, bitten 
by that old serpent. We're all sinners. You see, the, the last thing is looking unto God's provision is the only way to be delivered. Folks, only God has the provision that we need. And until you come to the point where you're desperate enough realizing that I'm a sinner and I'm going to surely die apart from God and God, I need you, until then, you will never run to Jesus. You see, that serpent, again, represented the idea of sin. And isn't it interesting that God says, okay, it's sin that kills you, but Moses, what I want you to do is make a replica of sin, of bronze, and I want you to hang it up on a stick. Well, you may say, well, that's what Jesus did. They hung him up on a stick. That's exactly right. Jesus became sin for you and me. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God of him. You see, that brazen serpent, let me tell you else what, why, why, why bronze? Well, it's reddish in color. I think it's also interesting when you study bronze in the, in the scripture that it deals with judgment. The altar was made out of bronze. It was judgment. Because, folks, God's going to judge sin one day. And so there's that, that serpent that was raised up that, that represented sin, and, and you had to look to that serpent to be, to be healed. thousand years later, God sent his son into the world. His name was Jesus Christ. He was not born of man. He was born of God, of a virgin. Therefore, he was not born with sin. He lived a righteous life, something that we could not do, but he was doing that on our behalf. He lived a perfect life, and the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Jesus didn't deserve to die because he had never sinned. He had never been bitten by the serpent. And so when judgment was to come upon man because all, but all, that, all who are bit by the servant must be judged, Jesus says, you know what? I'll take their sin upon me. And you hang me upon that pole. And so Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for you and me because when he became our substitute and, and they, they unjustly hung him upon the cross, the Bible says he bore our sins. So every sin that you committed and every sin that I committed became Jesus Christ. He was nothing more than that serpent on that pole. That's how much Jesus loves you. He became your sin for you. He took God's judgment. He took God's wrath for you when he hung on the cross. And that's why God would go on and tell, or Jesus would go on and tell Nicodemus that God so loved the world. For God so loved you, Debbie. For God so loved you, Robert. We can put every, our name, every one of our names. It doesn't matter whether, you know, God so loved Nicodemus. God so loved the drug dealer. God loved the prostitute. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How did he give him? He allowed him to be hung up on a pole and become sin for us. 
to the point that the Bible says, you know, that, that, that God turned his back. And that whosoever believeth in him, whosoever should look upon him, would not perish but have everlasting life. See, that idea of looking is, is placing our faith in what God tells us to do. And it does not mean just a quick glance, but it's looking and saying, God, that's my only hope of salvation. That's what that means. And folks, you cannot get over the problem of sin by yourself. It can only come through Jesus Christ who became sin for you and hung on the cross. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And as Jesus Christ told Nicodemus, just like Moses hung that serpent upon the pole, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And just like those people had to look into that serpent to live, you and me must look into Jesus Christ by faith and trusting God, you took my sin away and you placed it upon Jesus Christ. Folks, that's the only thing that's going to save you from life's problems. That's the only one thing that's going to save you from the judgment of God is that you look into Jesus Christ. It was true in the day of Moses. It was true in the day of Jesus Christ. It's true today, folks. See, the problem's always been the same. It's sin. And the solution's always been the same. It's Jesus Christ. No man ever walked this earth, not Muhammad, not Buddha, no one else ever became sin for you and me. Now, I have a real issue, and I, which I read recently. You know, all you have to do is come by your way. No, you have to come by Jesus Christ. Buddha didn't come become sin for me. He had a sin problem himself. Muhammad didn't become sin for me. He had a sin problem himself. Joseph Smith didn't have a become a sin. He had, a, he had a problem himself. Only Jesus Christ became sin for me and died on Calvary's cross. And only he can redeem me from my sins. Folks, don't let the world deceive you. Jesus says, no man can come to the Father but through me. And that's how we're going to close today. In just a moment, I want to pray. Our team's going to come sing. I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you. Do you need to look into Jesus today? Maybe you have some things going on in your life and, and maybe you've never come to the point in your life that you've ever addressed that, God, I'm a sinner and I'm in a need of a Savior. You may need to be saved today. You can't handle your sin the way you want to. You can only handle it is through the, the, the one who became sin for you and me and took your sin to the grave. I ask you to come to Jesus today. We'll take the Bible. We'll, 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 we'll talk to you. You know, there's some of you today that you've made a decision for Christ, but, but you know what? You, you've allowed some sin into your life. And maybe God has begun to convict you that, that this God who became sin for you, that, 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 that you, have, you have allowed other sin. You may need to come to the altar, and you need to just pray God repentance and say, God, I'm sorry. You become my sin. And I want to thank you. That's why I need to worship you, God, because you, you took my sins. Or there may be people here today that serve in Christ, and, and God's convicted you that, that, boy, that you want to thank, you want to worship God because Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, the death of the cross, and when he was on that cross, he became your sin, and he took your sins to the grave. 
Folks, that's why we need to worship Jesus Christ. Yes, he is the King of kings, but he's also Savior. He delivers us. Folks, we serve a great Jesus who did a great work for us. Father, we love you, Lord, and we pray that you bless this time. And God, I pray that you do a special work in this place. God, let us honor you and worship you as you're due. Father, I pray that you'd open up a heart to receive you today. In Christ's name, amen. So Holy Spirit spoke to your life. I ask you.